Heavenly Father, even on a, a vacation a weekend, uh, we're reminded that there's still lots of opportunities to do, uh, especially in the kingdom, uh, whether it's here, um, whether it's where we work, where we play, where we shop, where we live, the neighborhood, um, whatever context we find ourselves in, um, you remind us that we have an opportunity to share your love with the world, um, to share your forgiveness and grace, uh, to share the hope that we possess as your people. And so I just continue to pray uh, for us today, um, even as uh, hopefully it's a, a little bit more relaxing weekend. Uh, just pray for us today that um, we might see your hand at work and uh, we might understand uh, that work in our lives and then at some point be able to apply it this week. Uh, how can we live out this gift of faith you've given to us uh, so that not only it benefits us, but it's a benefit to those around us. So. Again, thank you for the word, and in particular, the word made flesh in Jesus. And uh, we pray that we make much of him today in his name. All God's people said, amen. All right, well, it may be a holiday weekend, but we do know from the calendar that we are at least two to three weeks into the school year, right? And because we're two to three weeks into the school year, that means if you were to sit in the class, your teacher would probably say, guess what, students? It's time for a quiz, right? It's time for a test. It's time for that, uh, for that opportunity for me to get some idea of whether or not, students, you're listening. So what I want to do this morning for you is give you a true-false test, all right, and see if you've been listening and learning anything, all right, no. Uh, all right, now these questions actually have nothing to do uh, with life and faith, all right, but nonetheless, I want to play this game with you to set us up to move into the text. So, all right, true, false, Abraham Lincoln had no middle name. <laughs> true, false, Abraham Lincoln had no middle name. Come on, people, clock's ticking. True, <laughs> true, I didn't know that either, so, all right. Here's one that is close to the hearts of many. True or false? Germany drinks the most beer in the world per person. <laughs> this divided the first service too. All right, if you say true, raise your hand. If you say false, raise your hand. All right, the answer is false. The Czech Republic <laughs> consumes the most beer in the world. All right. How about this? True, false. Ronald Reagan was a waiter during high school. <laughs> false. He was a lifeguard. He grew up in California, people. Come on. All right. A couple more. Now, if you love uh, shows from the early 70s, how many of you love the Brady Bunch? <laughs> All right. I'll test your Brady Bunch acumen. The kid's bathroom on the Brady Bunch didn't have a toilet, true or false? <laughs> true. That was kind of an easy one. All right, two more. There was no World Series in 1994. That is true because they were on strike that year. And I realize there are people in this room that weren't even born then, so. All right, last true, false. Porcupines can float. 
Yes. I never knew that either. If you learn anything today. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, so you can go back to work this week and say, hey, I learned something in church. Okay, so clearly all that, that fun stuff is, is not, <laughs> does not have anything to do with the ministry, right, uh, from the past couple weeks. It's just pop culture stuff. Um, but here's the point. Today in our text, the reader, the hearer, the participant is challenged to discern between what is true and what is false before their eyes and before their ears. What do we make of Jesus? And what do we make of all the guests at the dinner table that night? So let's read the text. I'll take you through it. And then we'll true-false. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees, and that's like edema. Jesus asked the Pharisees and, and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. And when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Jesus said this to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All right, so this is the text uh, for the message. And I would put before you this. Luke chapter 14 is a false chapter. Not false in the sense of it not being the Word of God, because I believe it is the Word of God, but false in the sense that Jesus, who is truth embodied, confronts five different groups of people and exposes what is false about their lives, what is false about their thinking, what is false about their practice or the way they live. So imagine you're hosting a dinner party and you invite five of your friends over and then as the course of the evening proceeds, you begin to discover that each person in front of you is not who they said they were, right? Is that perhaps you thought they were someone else, but then as the evening rolls on, they reveal that they are far from that, that their lives have been revealed to be fake, have been revealed to be false, misguided, shallow, use whatever adjective you want to use. Now, we may be surprised, but Jesus is not. He knows full well what he's walking into when he says yes to that invitation. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 24, 
tells us early on Jesus would not entrust himself to them who is them that is the religious leaders of the day for he knew all people he did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person all right so he's not walking into this blindly I mean we discover soon into the text that the dinner party is a sham (laughs) but he knew it already So think about it this way, if you will, in the context of the Sabbath meal, because this was a very uh, usual occurrence in the life of God's people. It might be like you having a host every Sunday, Sunday dinner, right? And filling your home with family or friends. But the Sabbath and hospitality on that day was of particular importance. And so it was not unusual to find people gathering for a meal after that Sabbath service. And we know from Jesus' life that he had received sincere invitations, but more often than not, the invitations were bait and switch. His enemies wanted to catch him and find something to criticize and condemn. So that's the setup here. Now, I'm not going to go through all the dinner guests. Uh, In fact, next week's gospel reading is the the remainder of that text from Luke chapter 14. It concludes the dinner scene, and I'll pick up uh, some of that next week. But let me run down by way of conversation uh, for us today from this portion of the text. Let me just real quickly give you at least an idea uh, of three of the types of dinner guests that day. All right, so first we have the Pharisees. Okay, and remember, we're talking about discovering what is true and what is false. The Pharisees are going to show false piety, verses 1 through 6. The guests, they're going to pursue false popularity. You may remember that from the text where they're jockeying for position at the table, right? And then the host who displays a false sense of hospitality. We've already learned that this meal is nothing more than a bait and switch, right? So there's some, there's some uh, collusion occurring amongst those who are there that night, some conspiracy, if you will, in a sense. And so dealing mainly with the Pharisees, not because the other guests aren't interesting, uh, but I think the Pharisees best reflect even to this day that sinful human tendency to rely on our own efforts uh, um, to save ourselves, that, that tendency that we fall into as humans of, of comparison so that we end up setting ourselves up over against others, that false standard of measurement uh, where we uh, either come out a winner or we feel that the world has declared us a loser. Instead of seeing ourselves and instead of grounding our identity at who we are in Jesus Christ, Instead of seeing ourselves as saved through the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus, instead of grounding ourselves in our baptism as children of God, being created in the image of God, right? We can slip into this false sense of piety. We can slip into this, this false sense that we somehow have to, 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 to uh, 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 be better, uh, to, 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 to earn God's love that he could never accept me, he could never receive me because of what I've done or what I've thought, those kind, that kind of stuff, all right? So, for instance, um, in the case of salvation, think about it this way. You know, as a pastor and as many years as I've been in ministry, I've done, obviously, a number of funerals. But a number of those funerals have unfortunately contained 
family members which will say something like, well, you know, grandpa's in heaven because he was such a good person, right? Which is not unusual to hear people say that, right? Or I know so-and-so, um, uh, she was such a good person, right? Uh, God will, cer- will certainly welcome her uh, into his presence. And so you hear things like that in this world today that has an uncertainty about, uh, uh, about itself, about salvation. And it's forsaken, uh, whether purposely or out of ignorance, it's forsaken this gift of God in Christ Jesus. It's forsaken his, his grace and his mercy. And it's found itself living in this pharisaical world uh, where it has to produce its own righteousness. It has to come off appearing perfect. It has to uh, present itself as being competitive uh, or, or worthy of the world's accolades and admiration. So how do we know the Pharisees' intentions are false? Because I think as we look at the Pharisees, then we can challenge our own life and ask ourselves, are my intentions holy, right? Or unholy? Are my intentions uh, faithful and true? Or, or have I slipped into that, that realm of false intentions and false piety um, that we're being warned about here in the text with their presence? Well, first of all, there's a great deal of material that precedes up to chapter 14. In fact, if you go back and you read chapter Luke, uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, there is a whole series of woes that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees uh, for, their, uh, for their, their legalism. I mean, it's a humiliating denunciation, really. And this criticism, I think, of Christ uh, on them is a catalyst uh, for them then to, to turn and begin their efforts at, at, uh, at revenge. So uh, chapter 11, verse 30, uh, 43, Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues. So he's pointing out their false humility as well uh, before them. But again, it's just building, isn't it? It's just building. It's like kindling on a fire. But go back to the beginning of the text from Luke chapter 14. So we're told a man with severe swelling, right? It used to be called dropsy, if you remember that word. Uh, but severe edema was invited. Right there, we know something is wrong. Not simply because the man is ill, but, but people with infirmities, differences, whatever kept them outside the in crowd, certainly excluded them from a place at the table, especially this particular table, right? And so the man is bait. He's used by the Pharisees. And where do they sit him? Do you remember what the text tells you? They sit the man right in front of Jesus, Right? That's to spring the trap. (laughs) They knew Jesus could not be before human suffering without doing something. And he did. Right? He healed the man. Even more so, the text tells us, he healed him on the Sabbath. Now, this is not Jesus' first Sabbath violation, right? Think about getting a moving violation. You know, you're pulled over by the police and you've rolled that stop sign or maybe... gone a little too fast, um, but Jesus himself, he's already clearly guilty at least seven times prior to this. He's broken man-made laws. It's not like they need any more evidence to convince themselves, right, or find a point of conviction. Backfires. Their scheme backfires. Uh, it doesn't break Jesus at all, does it? 
Instead, it breaks them. I mean, think about it this way. When Jesus asked what their convictions were about the Sabbath, he used on them the very same test question that they tried to trick him with, right? Um, Jesus, this is verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees, an expert in the law, is it lawful to heal heal on the Sabbath or not? (laughs) To begin with, they couldn't heal anybody on any day, right? It wouldn't matter, right? Could have been Christmas, New Year's, I mean, high holy day, they couldn't do it, period. But even more so, if the Pharisees had said that no one could be healed on the Sabbath, they're going to come across heartless, uncaring. And then if they did give permission for the healing, the associates around them would then consider them lawless. You're advocating that we break the law? So they've got to find a way out. And how do they do it? Do you remember what the text said? They said nothing, right? Avoidance, right? They said nothing because there's nothing that they can say. They know that they're in the wrong. They know that Jesus is right to have done what he did, but they can't admit it. You see, the reality is, as much as the Pharisees want to be seen as righteous, a righteous, a lesson like this reveals once and again the futility of trying to manufacture it ourselves. And I think perhaps we feel it even more in the Western world because we live in a world that tells us to, to do better, right? To run faster, to be stronger, um, to improve this and to perfect that, right? We live in that type of culture. And sometimes those types of things get transferred into our theology, And that's what I meant by earlier, that futility of comparison. The futility of trying to outdo the love of God in Christ Jesus. But what the text tells us is that the the dilemma then becomes theirs. And it could possibly be ours because it challenges us. Will we trade places at the table? And if we will trade places at the table with someone at the table, who are we going to trade places with? Well, the text wants us to be willing to trade places with the man who is ill. The text wants us to say, yes, I will take his place and admit that I am in need of healing. That I may have a physical problem, but more or less the healing that I need is one for my heart, right? For my sinful nature. I need the love of God in Christ Jesus, or I will not be well. You know, will we receive the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to, or will we continue to burden ourselves? See, Jesus exposes the false piety of the Pharisees as they claim to defend God. All they were doing, though, was denying God. And how are they denying God? By failing to show love for others, right? It was the way they treated and abused people. It was the way they accused Jesus. They did not love the Lord their God with all their their whole being. And they didn't certainly love their neighbor as themselves, did they? They failed the test, so to speak, right? They failed the test of what is true and what is false. And so does our life reflect a love not only for God with our whole being, but a love for others as we love ourselves? Do we set a table of grace and belonging in our home and and open the doors, so to speak, to others? So think of it this way. I realize hosting a party, you know, 
in the context of the, the, the text, it makes it sound like this, this huge banquet. But think about it this way. Um, maybe it's simply something like finding that person at work who's lonely and hanging out with them for lunch, right? The student at school, you know, who sits alone at the lunch table. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the neighbor who seems to be a, a recluse uh, and it's, it's baking a, a loaf of bread and, and taking it over to them. I mean, sometimes when you see a story like this and you're challenged to, to you know, do we open up a table of grace and belonging in our own home? Well, I, I get how hard that is now to, to even be home, right? Let alone have a party. So we're challenged then to think of ways where we work, where we shop, where we play, where we live, that perhaps uh, we can invest in the lives of others as Jesus invested in the life of this man who was sick. So think about it that way. And speaking of the man who was sick, do you remember that last line of the first paragraph, what Jesus does with the man after he heals him? Sends him on his way, right? Why? Because that's not a safe environment, is it? (laughs) The house was not a safe place. Instead of being the evidence the Pharisees wanted to use to condemn Jesus, the man now becomes the evidence that condemns the Pharisees, right? So he lets the man escape. But guess what? He doesn't let the dinner guests go, does he? He doesn't break up the party, so this is over, I'm leaving too. He knows too much about their intentions, their legalism, their hypocrisy to let them off easy, and he goes on to expose the falsities of the evening So where are my falsities exposed? Where are your uh, falsehoods exposed, our platitudes, our lip service? Um, Where is it that we do not practice what we preach? That's part of the challenge of the text. But also think about the text this way. Because in the midst of all the falsehoods, there is what? If there's false, there is also truth. And who did I say embodies truth? Jesus, right? And so Jesus also, for his purposes, reminds us that he is truth uh, and that he comes to you and me like that man needing healing. That he will not let us escape, not because he wants to condemn us, uh, not because he wants to pour over us a series of woes, but because he wants us to know that we cannot escape his grace and mercy. That he's here to heal the brokenhearted, bind up the wounded, to set a place at his table where anyone is welcome, right? He wants us to know that as much as there is false piety and false popularity and false hospitality in the world, so on and so forth, there is also him, right? There is also Jesus. So perhaps let me... uh, ask you this then. True, false. Let's wrap it up this way. Answer true, false. You were created by God. You were created in his image. God loves you. Christ died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Been raised from the dead. You have everlasting life. God provides for all your needs. He comforts you. Do I need to go on? (laughs) You passed. You passed the test. Now, all right. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, grateful again 
for some time in your word and a reminder that there really is no test that Christ uh, completed it once for all and took upon himself all that is false so that we might live um, in your truth. And so continue to strengthen each, each one of us, Lord, um, no matter where we see ourselves in a place like that party. Um, but most of all, um, we just pray that uh, we would leave with that healing touch of, of, of Christ himself. Thank you for loving us and continuing to send Jesus into our lives um, for your purposes, plans, and your glory. In his name, all God's people said, amen.